Is your wallet a little lighter than usual after the holiday season? Consider it money well spent because you deserve to live your best life and the Chime checking account wants to help you live yours to the fullest. A little extra money goes a long way, which is why the Chime checking account has tons of benefits that millions of members love, like fee-free overdraft up to $200 for eligible members, no monthly fees, and access to over 60,000 easy-to-find and fee-free ATMs. You even get paid up to two days early with direct deposit, all while managing your money on the go, including sending and receiving money fee-free with friends that aren't even on Chime. Sign up for Chime today for you and your wallet. Get started at Chime.com Goals24. That's Chime.com Goals24. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Access to direct deposits up to two days early depends on the timing of the submission of the payment file from the payer. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal fees may apply. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me here for this Thursday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. This is a Sports Ethos presentation, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can find me on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. A third place you can also get in touch with me is in our Discord. We are currently adding people over in the free side. It's our backup plan in case Twitter does crash, the site goes down for a day or two. All of our content would remain exactly the same, and they would just be posted in our Discord channels. Podcasts, articles, different threads like you'd see on Twitter, all of it would just be moved over into Discord. So send me a message, and we will get you guys added up in there as soon as we can. Now today we are going to continue going over the Hall of Fame ballot for 2023. Yesterday, we were looking at first-timers on the ballot, and again, I know this is a fantasy show, but we are moving away here just for a couple days just to talk about some real baseball stuff. I think it's interesting. It's interesting to me. I understand if you guys are strictly fantasy people and you want to skip over these ones, totally understand it, but we are going to be talking today again about the Baseball Hall of Fame. We talked about first-timers, pretty boring stuff yesterday, honestly. There's a couple guys who probably will get in eventually I don't think they'll get it on the first try Carlos Beltran Francisco Rodriguez all the other names pretty boring in terms of Hall of Fame credentials you know your JJ Hardy's John Lackey's Matt Kane, Johnny Peralta I thought Bronson Arroyo was the funniest name we saw on the ballot yesterday I don't know how he even got on there but he's not going to be on it for very long so not something we really have to worry about today we're going to be talking about those names that are a bit more interesting guys who have been on the ballot already for several years a couple guys in their second year, and then all the way up to 10th year for Jeff Kent. So we're going to start here. We're going to go down in terms of the percentage of the votes they received last year. And the first guy we are going to talk about is Scott Rowland. He received 63.2% of the vote last year. This is going to be his sixth try on the ballot. And will he get 75%? I think he will eventually. I don't know if he will this year. Uh, I think his resume is Hall of Fame worthy. 
He was Rookie of the Year, seven-time All-Star. He was a World Series champ in 2006, and he won eight gold gloves. Right there, without even looking at the stats, like those are, those are fantastic accolades to have in your career. The stats also just add a little bit of gravy on there. 316 home runs, a 281 batting average. He had more than 2,000 hits in his career. He was one of the best defensive, specifically defensive third baseman we've ever seen, and he also had several really elite offensive years there in the early 2000s. Now, I don't think there was ever any kind of PED stuff around Scott Rowland's name. I could be wrong. I was pretty young at the time when it was happening, but I don't remember ever hearing any any allegations or any ties to Mitchell Report or anything like that with Scott Rowland, so that's not an issue here. I think it's a matter of specifically the home run total is kind of low for Hall of Fame voters, 316. It's not typically enough. Uh, I mean, there are players who are in with less, sure, but third base is seen as a power position. He did have years of 30, 31, 34 home runs, uh, over 100 RBIs, five different times. But overall, those power numbers are kind of lacking a little bit. He did have several years near the end of his career where either he wasn't healthy for the entire year or just the numbers weren't that great. Um, You know, his time in Toronto, not great numbers. Cincinnati at the end of his career, okay his 2010 year was pretty good and then the last couple years were pretty poor didn't play a ton the numbers I think I think should get him in but I don't like the arguments I saw some arguments yesterday talking about his WRC plus and talking about his war and I forget the person on Twitter who said it but they said that Scott Rowland is a better hitter than Tony Gwynn and then Pete Rose Pete Rose is a piece of shit but the dude knew how to hit he was clearly a better hitter than Scott Rowland Tony Gwynn There's a lot of people who don't like Tony Gwynn, and it's seen as like an old man argument, uh, you know, to defend Tony Gwynn. I am not an old man. I didn't see much of Tony Gwynn at all. But the dude batted 340 in his career. He was the greatest contact hitter probably that we have ever seen. And that kind of comparison, I think, is kind of reckless. Uh, Tony Gwynn is, is pretty clearly a better hitter. You know, okay, he had one less war or something for his career, or WRC Plus was a few points below. Like, that doesn't matter at all he walked 790 times in his career he struck out 434 times for his career he struck out 434 times like this is not going to be a Tony Gwynn thing but I don't like people framing the arguments in those kind of ways he should be in because he's better than this guy and that guy and that guy like that is a a valid argument you can make for certain players but not for Tony Gwynn and, and certainly not for Pete Rose I know Pete Rose has done some some terrible things from the time he was managing and off the field stuff. We don't even know the extent of what he did probably, but the dude knew how to hit. The dude has 4,200 career hits, 4,300 or something. I'm not looking at his career numbers right now. But Scott Rowland is pretty clearly not better than him or than Tony Quinn. That's getting sidetracked here. In terms of just Scott Rowland's argument statistically, I think you can make the argument. And I think that he will get there. You know, he's up to 63%. He still has several years left on the ballot. I can't remember now if they leave you on for 10 years. I think it's 10 years on the ballot now. Uh, yeah, it's 10 times. I believe it used to be 15, but I think they figured it's it's a little bit long. Uh, so 10 years, I think that he will probably get in. If it's not this year, I would look for him to get in next year. The percentage of votes typically just continue to go up and up. So that's 63. Maybe we see it hit 70 this year and then 75 next year, the year after. Um, one way or the other, I think Scott Rowland will get in. But I don't like those arguments that are he's better than Tony Gwynn. I think that that is completely ridiculous. But we'll move on. We'll talk about Todd Helton. Todd Helton is somebody I think should have been in a while back. Uh, This is his fifth time on the ballot. People take away from what he did for his career. 
<clears throat> excuse me, people will take away from his accomplishments because he played for his entire career, 17 years at Coors Field. And granted, that will give you a boost. But he batted 316 for his entire career. Uh, you know, if you're playing there for a couple years and you get a bit of a boost there, whatever. But if that's just your entire career, uh, you know, I kind of want to take a look at the home and away splits because it might be something there. But I don't think we can look at Todd Helton as somebody who shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame with those kind of numbers. Uh, he had three gold gloves, four silver sluggers. He was an all-star five times. His 2000 season, I know it was a crazy uh, era, not year, a crazy era of talent and, you know, rampant steroid abuse, which led to some crazy offensive numbers. But in the year 2000, he had 216 hits, 59 doubles, 42 home runs, 147 RBIs, and he batted 372. <clears throat> I want to pull up the MVP voting real quick. So he was behind Jeff Kent, Barry Bonds, Mike Piazza, and Jim Edmonds. Man, he probably should have won the MVP that year, just looking back on everything. Jeff Kent won the award. Not going to argue so much about it, but Todd Helton was, I think, pretty clearly the best player in the National League that season. 369 career home runs. He had, where are the hits? 2,519 hits. For me, I think that he is a pretty clear-cut Hall of Famer. You know, Coors gives you a bit of a boost, but 316, like, there's a lot of players who played a Coors for their entire career, and they don't bat 316. Or guys that play a Coors for certain periods of time, and they're good. They usually get a bit of a boost, and maybe some people will say, what would Todd Helton have been if he had played his entire career away from Coors? That's a question. It's a question we will never be able to answer. Uh, let me pull up the home and away numbers for him, because I've actually never, I've never seen them before, or maybe I have at some point. Um, but I'm kind of curious if he was that much worse away. Is that why he's been held out? Um, his away batting average was 285. You know, I don't see that that's any reason to keep him out of the Hall of Fame. Uh, home batting average, 332. Obviously excellent. But 285, it's not like he was some shitty hitter that was, you know, he's only good because he was playing at Coors Field. You add in the gold gloves, the other accolades, the fact that he played for the same team for his entire career, I think that that does mean something, especially to these voters. You'll see a guy who bounced around. We mentioned this yesterday. If a guy plays for six or seven teams over 15, 12, 15 years, whatever it is, you might devalue him, and I don't think you'd be necessarily wrong to do so uh, a little bit anyway. It's not always the, the biggest indicator of talent, but it's definitely something there. Uh, when a guy spends his entire career with one franchise, it's, it means something. And it's hard to even put your finger on what exactly it means, but it's a little bit more special than a dude who plays for seven teams in 10 years. Between the production between the accolades and between generally the kind of disrespect he gets because of the Colorado stuff, I would, I would think that Todd Helton does get into the Hall of Fame. 52% of the vote on his last try. He's got five years left on the ballot, or I guess this is his fifth year, so he has six years left on the ballot. I would imagine that in that time he will get up over 75%, but there may be some people who still will stay away regardless because of the Coors Field stuff, which I don't agree with, but... Let's move on to the next guy, Billy Wagner. We mentioned him very briefly yesterday when we were talking about closers. Billy Wagner is truly one of the best relief pitchers we have ever seen. This is going to be his eighth year on the ballot. He's running out of time. He only got 51% of the vote last year. I don't know that he is going to get in, but he definitely should get in. When we were talking about Francisco Rodriguez yesterday, Billy Wagner is every bit as good, if not better, than Francisco Rodriguez. His career ERA, 231. He had 422 career saves. He struck out uh, just about 1,200 batters in 900 innings. The dude was absolutely dominant from this time in Houston, Philadelphia, uh, New York, Boston, Atlanta. If you look at by specific location, because, you know, there are some players who bounce around, their performance changes based on where they are. 
This is his ERA by team. So with Houston over nine years, 253 ERA. The Mets for four years, 237. Philly for two years, 186. One year in Atlanta, 143. And then one year in Boston, 198. The dude was elite. He was fantastic wherever he went. And elite is is the proper word there. The dude is, I think, on one of the top three or four closers of all time, if you want to think about it. He's behind Rivera. He's behind Hoffman. He's behind Eckersley. And then, you know, it's him and Francisco Rodriguez, likely. And I might be missing somebody in there. But that's probably the list. And I don't know that we're going to see him actually get into the Hall of Fame here. Uh, the accolades, it's kind of hard to rack them up as a pitcher, but he did finish uh, sixth in Cy Young voting once, fourth another time. He was on the MVP ballot twice, All-Star seven times, reliever of the year. There are some awards. It is a lot harder for them to rack them up, but he's still got some. I think it's. I think personally he should be in, but I don't think he will get in just because we're already nearing the end here. He has three years left on the vote. He needs to get 24 more percent over these next three years. I guess if he goes up 8% a year, roughly, then he will get in on the last try. But I think it's probably not going to happen for Billy Wagner uh, this way. I know they do the veterans committees and different things they do where some guys who slip through the cracks, they can add him into the hall later on. Maybe he's one of those guys, but I think it's pretty unlikely that he gets in the traditional method. Next guy we're going to talk about, and again, I think that this guy is also a worthy Hall of Famer. Uh, most of the guys we're going to talk about after this guy, I don't think should be in the Hall of Fame. One or two, maybe. But this, these top four names here, Roland, Helton, Wagner, and finally, Andrew Jones. I think that they all should be in the Hall of Fame. Andrew Jones is one of the greatest defensive outfielders of all time. He might be the greatest defensive outfielder we've ever seen. Uh, he's right up there anyway. In terms of center fielders, there's, he's on a very short list. He won 10 gold gloves. And people will talk about how he wasn't a great hitter, and it's true. Like, when he fell off, he fell off in a big way. Like, after 2006, where he, you know, had 41 homers, 129 ribbies, and 262 average. After that, the batting averages in particular were just dreadful. 222, and then it was 158, 214, 230, 247, 197. And it's really unfortunate that that's all the people are remembering they're not remembering the year where he had 51 homers, 128 ribbies, you know, 41 homers, 36, 35, 34, 36, over 100 RBIs five times. He had 90, uh, three, uh, four other times as well. He, is, he was an elite player. He was a fantastic player, a five-time All-Star. He was runner-up for the MVP in 2005. He lost to Albert Pujols, and it was actually a close vote, too. Pujols got 18 first-place votes, and Andrew Jones got 13. And looking at the numbers... It's probably fair that Pujols won it, but Andrew Jones legitimately, you know, a couple people have a differing opinion that year. We could be looking back on him as an MVP winner. I think that he should absolutely be in the Hall of Fame. The defense alone, that kind of thing should be rewarded, and then you factor in that he was a 50-home run hitter and also a 40-home run hitter. Uh, even though the adding average definitely tailed off near the end of his career, he's still a 254 career hitter. It's not... It's not terrible, especially when you factor in the, the elite power and the defense. I mean, 434 career home runs, just shy of 2,000 hits. For me, Andrew Jones is a Hall of Famer. I don't, I don't think he's going to get there. Um, I just, I have a feeling where it's just probably a little bit too late at this point for him to get any kind of traction, uh, the traditional election methods. Uh, it's sixth time on the ballot. He's only at 41%. It's not looking great for his candidacy. I think that he should be in, but I, I don't think that he will get in, unfortunately. 
Next guy we're going to talk about is Gary Sheffield. Now, statistically, the numbers, he should be in the Hall of Fame. He has that big 500 home run mark we were mentioning yesterday, one of those classic indicators. He has, he's shy of 3,000 hits, but he's at 2,700 just about. He batted 292 for his career. Statistically, it's, it's you know, close, close, shut, and dry case. Uh, he is a Hall of Famer. The thing with him is that he used performance-enhancing drugs for an undetermined amount of time. I don't know exactly if we know details about when he was using them or if he's – I don't even know if he ever actually admitted to using them. Um, but he certainly did. Uh, he certainly was somebody who benefited from performance-enhancing drugs. I'm just trying to see here, like, what the exact proof was because I forget exactly. It was so long ago. Uh, he was mentioned in the Mitchell Report. And that's kind of it, really. I mean, <clears throat> hell, maybe it's not true, but the perception is that it is true. He worked out with Barry Bonds in 2001, and he used some kind of cream. And right there, I mean, just as, as soon as you throw Barry Bonds' name in the mix with yourself and the word steroids come up, uh, you're going to be tainted. Uh, he goes on to say in his book that the cream did nothing to strengthen his knee, <clears throat> and the numbers did not improve after the incident. So maybe he should be in. Maybe he shouldn't be seen as a cheater, but he has been seen as a cheater. This is his ninth try on the ballot. He's only got 40.6% of the vote last time. I think it's going to be almost impossible for him to get in at this point. Again, they do these, they have these, I think it's called the Veterans Committee, where I forget the criteria, but it's essentially for guys who get passed over the traditional voting method. Maybe he's somebody who down the line they change their tune on, but I think that for the most part, at this point, guys who cheated that we know cheated are, are going to be kept out of the Hall of Fame. I don't think that there is much goodwill for most of these guys, especially guys that have never really owned it. We saw Alex Rodriguez when Fernando Tatis earlier in the season. <clears throat> excuse me, guys. I got something in my throat today. Um, Alex Rodriguez earlier in the season when Fernando Tatis was accused, when he was suspended for using performance-enhancing drugs, Rodriguez said that he wishes that guys would learn from his mistakes and you know he's fully acknowledged that he did cheat that kind of thing will bode well for you a little bit i think and a rod is next up on our list he was on his second year on the ballot he got 34 percent in the first try now in terms of everybody who's ever played in major league baseball history alex rodriguez has one of the most airtight cases statistically to be in the hall of fame 696 home runs, 3,100 hits, a 295 career batting average. He was a three-time MVP, a 14-time All-Star. He won the World Series. It's hard to even know where to start with him in terms of the accolades. He was one of the most gifted players we've ever seen uh, as a shortstop. And granted, he wasn't as great as a third baseman. But he was just, he was just incredible. Uh, offensively, defensively. All around, Alex Rodriguez, one of, one of the greatest players we've ever seen. He had a 40-40 season, one of the few players to ever have a 40-40 season. He maintained his high level of play up until, you know, his age 39 season. He had 33 home runs, 86 driven in. That's just the steroids. It's the only thing, and of course, you guys already know this, it's the only thing holding him back. And will it continue to hold him back? I think if he continues to show contrition for what he did, he talks about it. And he maybe sheds a little bit more light on the context of what happened. Maybe. I don't know. I think that there is a chance for Alex Rodriguez still. Most guys with steroids, I think it's probably – it's not going to happen. 
uh, Bonds and those guys, Clemens and Sosa and McGuire. There's no committee ever. I don't think that's going to ever put those guys in. Maybe, who knows? But, and honestly, even with Gary Sheffield, I was saying maybe down the line, but I, I just don't think so. Those guys who have never, I don't think they've ever admitted it. Um, you know, they're just seen as black sheep and they are black sheep in the history of the game. With Rodriguez, he is as well. But the fact that he's gotten out, not in front of it, because it took him years to admit it, but now that he started to rebuild his image a little bit, I think I think he should probably get in. And I say that as somebody who hates the steroid era. I didn't. I was very young. I was a child while the steroid era was going on. I didn't really have a proper idea of what came before it and how that changed baseball. But looking back on those years and just seeing the numbers, like I don't like Barry Bonds. I've said it on the show many times before. I don't like Barry Bonds. Someone who's never admitted that he cheated when he so clearly did. So it was so obvious that he did. And the thing that really pisses me off with Bonds is he never needed to cheat. He was already such an elite player. The fact that he has continued to deny it and all this shit when he was literally somebody who never hit 50 home runs one time in a season until he went and hit 73 of them when he was 37 years old or 30, 37 or something years old. Clearly he cheated. His head ballooned three times in size. His whole body did. Not much of a debate there with guys like him. And the fact that he's never come clean and said, you know what, I, I, I screwed up. I was about to use an even worse word that I've never actually used the F word on the show somehow. Um, I screwed up. I owned it. I don't want kids to do what I did. Kids, look at what I did. It's a mistake. Well, never anything like that from Bonds. Just a cocky, a cocky dick, really, if we're just being honest here. No problem with him never seeing the Hall of Fame, even though I know I'm probably in the minority there. He's the home run champion. Yes, sure, whatever. But he is not, I don't think, should be in the Hall of Fame. Alex Rodriguez, I think that he should simply because he has owned it. And maybe I am... Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that's just my opinion. I mean, I can't really be wrong. It's my opinion. I just think if you are going to go out there and be cocky and be a prick about it, then people aren't really going to show you any goodwill. With Rodriguez getting 34% of the vote on the first try, that bodes really well for him going forward. You know, maybe he gets up to 42 or something, 45 this year, and just keeps getting up there. It won't be soon, but by the time we get to the sixth or seventh year on the ballot for A-Rod, I think that he is somebody who will, who will likely get in. Jeff Kent is the next guy on the list here. He has a decent case specifically from the second base position, not somewhere that's known for its offensive prowess. And he won an MVP, four Silver Sluggers, five All-Stars, 377 home runs out of second base, 290 batting average. Uh, did he ever win a gold glove? He did not ever win a gold glove. But the MVP in 2000, he was a finalist one, two, three, four, five, six times. Otherwise, he was on the ballot as well. And he's somebody where you, you could make a decent little case for it. 2,400 hits. I think he's going to be somebody who is just maybe a little bit too boring for Hall of Fame voters. This is his last chance on the ballot. People would need to say, you know, there'd need to be some huge effort to get him in at this point because he has 32% of, his, of the votes on his previous ballot. He's going to need to more than double that, and I don't think it's very likely for Jeff Kent. Even though he's somebody who probably should be statistically just from the second base position, uh, not not the deepest position if you look throughout history, especially power-wise. So a guy who you know was able to win an MVP, hit almost 400 home runs, bat close to 300 for his entire career, I think that he is somebody who probably got a bit of a raw deal in terms of the whole voting process. I think he he's probably maybe borderline. Uh, but overall, if I had to say one way or the other, I would say that Jeff Kent should be a Hall of Famer. 
Manny Ramirez is the next guy here. Again, very tricky for him to ever have any chance of getting in. It's his seventh year on the ballot, 28.9% he got last time. And it's all down to steroids again. The career numbers like are just absurd. 555 homers, a 312 batting average. He had 2,500 hits. I'm surprised he didn't get the 3,000, truly. <clears throat> and another thing that surprises me is he never won an MVP. He finished 6th, 3rd, 6th, 9th, 6th, 3rd, 4th, 12th, 4th. Never won one. Uh, rookie of the year, he came second in rookie of the year voting. He won multiple Silver Sluggers. He won nine of them. He won two World Series. He was an all-star 12 times. And he was a lot of fun. Like Manny Ramirez growing up, he was a lot of fun, seeing his antics at Fenway and left field. Uh, but at the end of the day, he cheated big time. Uh, we know that he cheated. We know that earlier in his career, specifically with Cleveland, I believe, is when he was really juicing and those numbers were ridiculous. You know, he had 165 RBIs in 1999. He actually never hit 50 home runs, which kind of surprises me. 45, 44, 41, 43, 45, but he never got to 50. Uh, he's somebody who is going to be held out again. <clears throat> the same reason for those other guys. He's never really owned it. We know that he took PEDs, and I don't even think he's ever admitted it. I, maybe at some point. It's hard to keep track of these guys, uh, you know, if they gave an interview one time and did they ever admit it or whatever. I don't think that he ever did. Um, yeah. PEDs ban. Maybe he did admit it at some point. He said he had no regrets, but I don't know if that's actually... Uh, I don't think that that's actually really admitting it. And regardless, at this point, where he stands on the ballot, he's not going to get in. Seventh try, he's at 28.9%. It's just not going to do it. Um, I think statistically, obviously, yes, uh, he's got the case, but he's not going to get it. I think that He's a tricky one, I think, because I don't know. I think he did have a positive test at some point, but it was way later in his career, from what I remember. It's very hard to keep track of all the stuff because there are some guys who never admitted it. There's some guys who kind of vaguely kind of hinted that they did it. Uh, it was with Ramirez. So he tested positive in 2009. Uh, it was a women's fertility drug that he had taken, I believe. Uh, pretty crazy. He spent it for 100 games there. Um, yeah, I don't think that he ever actually fully did a mea culpa and said, like, my apologies or anything like that. He's got really no chance as far as I see it. Again, maybe some of those veterans committees down the line will look and see, okay, batted over 310, 550 home runs. Maybe down the line they have mercy, but in terms of these ballots, uh, he's not getting in anytime soon. Omar Vizquel. Another dude who is not getting in anytime soon. I don't think he had a case really before all the nonsense with him. He is he is a terrible human being. I don't really want to even get into Omar Vizquel too much because he is he's a dirtbag. I don't know if you guys know the stuff around him. Just do a Google search if you want to find out. He had 11 gold gloves, which is the only thing that really is. He was an extremely elite defensive shortstop. One of the best defensive shortstops of all time. But literally no power, literally no offense from him. 80 home runs over 24 seasons. He batted 272. He's not going to the Hall of Fame. And I don't really want to talk about Omar Vizquel for very long. So let's move on to the next guy, Andy Pettit, who also falls into the same kind of problems <clears throat> with PEDs. His numbers are already kind of borderline. 256 wins is great. The five World Series is obviously great in the ALCS MVP as well. But a 385 career ERA, he was never, I don't think, considered one of the best pitchers in the league. He did have years where he was one of the better pitchers in the league. But it was more during, I don't know, those numbers are obviously a little bit inflated for pitchers during that era because of the steroids. 
but 385 for the ERA, like most years, if you're looking, uh, he's well over four. 417 from his first year, 387, and then 288, 424, 470, 435, 399, 327, 402. He had some years on the Cy Young ballot, and actually in his second year, he finished second on the ballot uh, despite having a pretty high ERA. I just don't think that he's going to get in. The um, the PEDs definitely are going to hurt his case, and that's probably the main thing. If it wasn't for the PEDs, I think that they would look at the ERA and everything else, 256 wins, the World Series, and just say, okay, he's probably a guy where he wouldn't be a first ballot guy or anything, but he'd sneak in eventually. Uh, but the, all the PED stuff surrounding Andy Pettit, I, I can't see him ever getting in. What year are we now? Year five for him, 10% of the ballot. There's not a lot of support for him. I don't think that he has really any chance. Uh, Jimmy Rollins is the next guy. Again, not really any chance here. It's almost surprising that he stayed on the ballot. He got 9.4% of the vote in his first year. He won an MVP, which was a fairly illegitimate MVP back in 2007. Uh, he shouldn't have won it if you look back on the numbers. There were a couple of guys who had better seasons. Matt Holiday did. Prince Fielder did. Uh, David Wright, you could have even argued, he had a 30-30 season, batted 325. I think it was kind of a weird MVP for him. Matt Holiday was the guy who batted 340, had 36 home runs, but there was the whole Colorado thing, of course, that year. I think that it was probably a bit of a a bit of a weird MVP for him. I think that everybody was just kind of stunned that he, you know, 20 triples, he had 30 home runs. Uh, it was an amazing year. But that was kind of not, I'm not going to say the end because he had good years after that as well. Uh, but his, you know, before that, he's batting 289, 290, 277, 296. And then after that, we see 277, 250, 243, 260, 250. He kind of fell off a little bit after his MVP. And, you know, I don't think that the career numbers are anywhere close. I don't know that he'll stay on the ballot forever and ever. Um, I don't know, actually, if you get more than 5% on your first try, I guess you would just stay on unless some people don't vote for you the year after. They voted for you one year and then they don't the next year. I guess that does happen sometimes. I guess he'll probably still stay on the ballot. But he doesn't have a snowball's chance in hell of getting in with a 264 average, 230 home runs. Um, you know, he had a lot of hits, 2,455 hits. He won a World Series, All-Star a couple times, but it's not enough. The whole thing together is just not enough to put Jimmy Rollins into Cooperstown. Bobby Abreu is the next guy we're going to talk about, and there has been some talk. Carlos Marcano wrote an article a while back that he reshared that was very interesting, putting the Hall of Fame case for Bobby Abreu out there. And I think that he is somebody who is probably pretty close Um Never any steroid stuff, I don't believe. Again, I say I don't believe a lot of these guys because every now and then there's been like an allegation of somebody, you know, someone accused Albert Pujols a couple of years ago of PED stuff. I don't buy it. Um, I don't think many people did buy it, and it kind of went away pretty quickly. But people, there is all kinds of random stuff. So I, I preface them with I don't believe there has been any PED stuff with Bobby Abreu. Uh, during his year specifically in Philadelphia, one of the best bats in baseball. He ended up with 288 career home runs. Oh, excuse me, a 291 career batting average, 1,363 RBIs, and he stole 400 bases. I think that he might be a little bit short on accolades. Uh, one gold glove, one silver slugger. <clears throat> he won a home run derby for what it's worth. Uh, I don't think that he's going to have those numbers, even though 
you know, you, you could make the argument. Uh, almost 2,500 hits. The 400 steals are huge. Batting 290, you know, pretty solid power hitter there in the late 90s, early 2000s. But he's on his fourth try, and he's got 8.6% of the vote. So, again, he's not going to get in. I think that you could make a legitimate case that he probably should get in. Uh, specifically, if what I'm saying is correct, and there were never any steroid things, uh, in that era, to compete with those steroid kind of numbers, you know, 30 homers, 100 RBIs, and he batted 300 for a lot of years. You know, 30 home runs he did a couple times, but he was always 20 to 25 home runs during that era, which is very impressive. Uh, I think that he is somebody who you could make a, you could make a strong case for, but ultimately it's, it's not going to really end up doing anything. Uh, I'm going to do a quick search here with PEDs with Bobby Abreu. No, there was, there was never any PED stuff. Uh, it's just unfortunate that he didn't have the highest home run total. I think that's probably what's going to hold him back because really that's what they look at. If you got, he's got 2,500 hits, just about that. That should do it for most players, especially with a 290 average. It's just I think the fact that the power kind of tailed off a little bit. Only 288 career bombs is going to work against them, and the lack of accolades as well. Uh, unfortunately, I I don't see Bobby Abreu uh, getting into the Hall of Fame couple more guys we're going to talk about here. Mark Burley, we touched on him a little bit yesterday. I would make the case that Mark Burley should be in the hall. And he's on his third ballot, 5.8% of the vote. It's almost impossible that he would get onto the ballot. But a 381 career ERA, 214 wins. He threw 200 innings every year from 2001 to 2014. And in his last year, in 2015, with the Blue Jays, he threw 192.2 innings. Man, he must have been so disappointed. Four outs away from keeping that streak. From what I remember, that was the year the Blue Jays made the playoffs. They won the, I believe they won the division in 2015. That was the division year. Um, they wanted to save him for the playoffs, and I think they wanted to abbreviate his last start or skip it altogether. So that's why he missed it. But when you talk about, and this isn't even that long ago, seven years ago, a guy who is throwing 200 innings for you every single year. He is winning 13 to 15 games. And he's pitching to most years, almost every year, a sub-4 ERA. Again, never really the greatest pitcher in baseball, never considered to be one of the better pitchers. He was fifth in Cy Young voting in 20, uh, 2005. Very good defensively, four gold gloves and five silver sluggers. But I don't think the voters are going to want to put him in. I think that he sh- he's got a really strong case. Specifically, you know, perfect game. He threw a no-hitter as well. But he just doesn't have enough support at this point. And as much as I'd like to think that Mark Burley is a Hall of Famer, and we, we mentioned this yesterday, should the line be moved back a little bit? Should it be maybe a little bit easier to get into the Hall of Fame than what it has been just because we're in a different era, times are changing, those 300 wins, 3,000 strikeouts, you know, 3,000 hits, 500 home runs, they're very hard to attain. And when you look at a guy like Burley who is so consistent for 15 years, 16 years he played, but the first year, throw it away, whatever, I think that he's really someone that will be overlooked, even though he has a very strong case to be made for the Hall of Fame. Uh, in his career, there was one, really only one bad season, 2006, when he had a 499 ERA. That was really it. You can afford, usually, for most pitchers, you have one bad year. There is a lot of great pitchers in the Hall of Fame who had one or two bad years. Maybe it's the strikeouts that won't do it for him. Maybe it's the fact that, I don't know. I don't know what it is exactly with Mark Burley. Like, I look at his numbers, I think it's kind of crazy that this is his third time on the ballot, and he's only at 5.8% of the vote. Won a World Series as well, which I forgot to mention earlier. Like, 
when you look at the resume, it is incredible. And I think that he's someone that they should be rewarding, even though that they probably won't. Last guy we are going to talk about on the ballot, Torrey Hunter. I love Torrey Hunter growing up. Great, great defensive and offensive center fielder. I remember him primarily with the Twins when I was growing up, and then, of course, with the Angels a couple of years in Detroit and then one last year in Minnesota. His last year as the 39-year-old, he had 22 homers and 81 RBIs. Not too shabby, but for the career, uh, he was someone, two silver sluggers, like we said, uh, nine gold gloves, five-time All-Star. He had 353 homers, 277 career hitter, and he had 2,400 career hits. He's not going to get enough votes. Again, same argument here. Uh, third year on the ballot, he's only at 5.3%. Statistically, you could make the argument defense isn't valued as much as it probably should be when you look at a guy like him who was pretty clearly the best center fielder in baseball, or at least in the American League because Andrew Jones was on the other side. Uh, but he was pretty clearly the best center fielder in baseball during the early part of the 2000s. He won a gold glove every single year from 2001 uh, going down to 2009. I think that he should get more consideration. He should definitely stay on the ballot for a few years. It wasn't just the defense either. I mean, he was uh, upwards of 25 home runs. Uh, a lot of times he had 31 in 2006. He drove in more than 100 RBIs uh, twice. It was 2003 and 2007. He was a consistent like 280 hitter for most of his career. And then he ended up 277. That last year probably dragged him down a little bit, batting 240. But, you know, look at the years prior, 286, 304, 313. 262, 281, 299. The dude was consistent on both sides of the field. And I really think that you, not you, uh, not the listener here, that in general we should be probably valuing somebody like that a little bit more. A long career, 19 years, pretty clearly one of the best defenders in the outfield we've ever seen, and no slouch at the plate as well. There are a lot of people who will disagree with a lot of my arguments here today. But I think at the same time... um, we need to start including probably some more people in the Hall of Fame. And that is something that I've been thinking about for the last couple of days now. Um, should we be including more people, fewer people? Should we keep the standards about the same? But the game has changed, and you have to look at all the factors on the field that have changed over the years. The fact that batting average has gone way down, uh, pitching speed has gone way up. There are a lot more strikeouts. It's a lot harder to accumulate 3,000 hits, 500 home runs, to hit 300 for your career. Let alone hit 300 for one season. You know, never mind your whole career, which is where the whole Tony Gwynn thing also kind of pisses me off. 340 for the career. Um, and he's, he's underrated somehow. I think that we should probably, collectively as a baseball community, start to allow some more of these guys in who we've been, you know, pretty strict on. Todd Helton. Todd Helton should be a Hall of Famer. Andrew Jones, Billy Wagner, Scott Rowland, they, I think they should be in the Hall of Fame. And then you want to get, you know, a little bit more technical. I think A-Rod, I think he probably should as well. Maybe they'll make him wait a few more years and punish him. Um, and maybe he'll never get in. Maybe he'll never get in. He said that himself. He said, uh, I forget, maybe it was in regards to the whole Tatis thing as well, but I'll never get into the Hall of Fame. And that's okay because, you know, I know what I did and I'm owning up to it, whatever. I think that'll bode well for him down the line. And I think he'll probably get in as well. Uh, But those top four names on the ballot, Roland, Helton, Wagner, and Andrew Jones, they're pretty clear-cut Hall of Famers to me. Uh, You know, just because you tailed off a bit at the end of your career shouldn't take away how great that peak performance was, specifically from Andrew Jones. And they do this peak seven-year war thing. Uh, over on, I'm looking at baseball reference right now. I know that Fangraph's war is typically better. Uh, I don't really like looking at war so much in these arguments at all, 
But if we're going to look at it for a second here, his peak seven-year war was 46.4. It was the same as Helton. Um, you know, it was better than Gary Sheffield's. It was better than Kent. It was better than Ramirez. Um, he is somebody that we should be taking a look at a little more seriously, I think, than we are. And it's, it's really not fair to him. Uh, and a lot of these guys, Scott Rowland, Scott Rowland should be in the Hall of Fame. Todd Helton, Wagner, Jones. I'm going to get repetitive if I keep saying them. Those guys are, are going, I think, maybe not Jones. But I think the other three are probably going to end up in the Hall of Fame one way or another. It'll be tough for Wagner to get, you know, in the next three years to get 24 more percent. But I think he is somebody where they would put him in with the veterans. I'm not even sure how that whole thing works. But I think that he will, he will have a place in Cooperstown uh, by the time all is said and done. I'll probably put something on Twitter just summarizing this, just talking about who I would vote in, brief summaries why, uh, either today or tomorrow. But until then, yeah, find me over on Twitter, at JoeOrico99. I'd really appreciate you guys going and leaving a follow at EthosFantasyBB as well. We just have more and more content. Stephen Bagel dropped yet another article yesterday. He's going to be doing one. I'm not sure the frequency of these division pieces, maybe one a week or so. Uh, yesterday, we are looking at the National League Central, talking about how the rosters or how he's projecting the rosters to be made up heading into next season. Different little uh, trades and roster moves. Like just an example. He thinks Sean Murphy will be with St. Louis to start next season. Uh, what's another one here? Uh, the Hunter Renfro. He, I mean, he wrote this before. Before Renfro was traded, he had him with the Brewers lineup. But Evan Longoria also with the Brewers. Uh, there's, I'm not going to give away a lot, but just a little bit here and there. He thinks Jose Abreu will be a Chicago Cub. Uh, some really interesting stuff here. You can find it at sportsethos.com in the baseball side. And you can also find it here at Ethos Fantasy BB. So throw a follow there. I'd also really appreciate you guys leaving a five-star review on the show. I know I'm annoying about that, but that is something that really helps us out here, really helps more people to see the show. It just takes a couple seconds. So if you just hit the five-star button, uh, that would be fantastic. But guys, tomorrow we are going to do a bit of a news wrap-up show. We're going to look at some things that have happened over the last week. We'll talk some Bryce Harper news because we got some news on Bryce Harper yesterday. We're going to talk about that tomorrow. We're going to talk about Hunter Renfro and all the other stuff. Hopefully there's a flurry of activity tonight. And we can just go over that. But we will recap this last week of baseball and fantasy baseball talk. Until tomorrow, though, guys, I wish you all the best. And I hope you have a great Thanksgiving for the American listeners out there. Cheers, everybody. Take care. <laughs>